Everybody, welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact each and every one of us every single day. We'll hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm Peter Tilden. I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper and Anna Vuccino. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great, Peter. Anna, likewise. And I'm doing good. Nobody asked, but I'm doing good because I'm never great. Right. We didn't ask how you're doing. You never do, but that's okay. We never do. You know why? Because the people are coming to listen to hear what we're going to talk about. So what are we going to talk about? So on today's episode, we will discuss our president Biden's skin cancer and a new medication for cholesterol. And in this just happened, a new procedure for prostate that is not as intrusive a surgery and what the benefits of that are. It sounds remarkable. And then we've got a caller who wants to know about Alzheimer's disease. So we're going to do that. David, uh, Biden's skin cancer. What do we need to know about that? What's going on? A basal cell carcinoma? That sounds serious. Basically, this is about all of us are going to need to end up in a dermatologist's office one day. There are three kinds of skin cancers that are provoked by ultraviolet light. There's melanoma, squamous cell, and basal cell. Biden's were all basal cells. So these are slow-growing cancers. They can uh, develop over months and years. They come in sun-exposed areas generally, and they appear like open sores. They don't heal. They bleed. They ooze. They crust. <laughs> They're lovely. And they can look like other skin lesions. They can look like eczema or psoriasis. And those people that are at greater risk are men over 50, people with fair skin, and others that have chronic skin conditions where there's inflammation and infections, rashes. So the treatments, there's a new treatment, which is great, which is where I'm going with this. And the first thing, obviously, is the prevention, stay out of the sun, wear sunscreens. You can remove these surgically. Sometimes it involves what's called a Mohs procedure. And a Mohs procedure is where you go to the doctor's office and they give you a little Novocaine at the skin and they just slice off a little bit of it so that you don't have much tissue damage. They run into another room. They look at this under the microscope to make sure all the margins are clear. If they're really good, they come back and they sew you up and say goodbye. Sometimes it takes two, three, four times for them to get the entire cellular Is that always done, David? Or can you have a a basal cell that can just be removed easily or different procedure? You can have them removed easily if they're relatively new. If they've been there a while, they've sort of moved in a little bit deeper. But uh, these are, I don't want to say harmless, but rarely do these things become problematic. But there's a new treatment that's out. It's not brand new. It's been looked at for the last several years. It's a vitamin B derivative, uh, B3. It's called nicotinamide. It's a pill you take twice a day as a preventative, and you take this um, basically forever. And there are no side effects to this. And what it does is that it repairs the damaged DNA from the ultraviolet lights. The ultraviolet also creates problems with your immune system and its ability to respond to these cancers. The nicotinamide corrects that. uh, And it's it's just a, it's a preventative that people are now going to start using that are at high risk or people that get multiple lesions. I wouldn't be surprised if the president has been recommended this therapy, but it's new and interesting. So nicotinamide, is it expensive and how do you take it forever and what does it impact? There's got to be something it's doing. 
No, it's not expensive. It's a B vitamin and wow. it is prescription and they're not seeing side effects from this. So it's pretty safe. That's really good news. Very interesting. So for those of us out there that have had these problems, ask your doctor about nicotinamide as a preventative. For It doesn't work for the melanomas, but it does work for the squamous and the basal cells. Well, if it's a B vitamin, should you just be taking more B vitamin supplements? It's a specific B vitamin. It's oh, okay. B3. And David, before we leave the subject, if you have a basal cell, which is the least problematic, let's put it that way, does that however, indicate that you're maybe prone to other cancers? Very good question, Peter. It does indicate that you are likely prone to more basal cells. And basal cells don't transition to squamous or melanomas, but not really to other cancers, but more oh. basal cells. All right. Well, that's good to know. I like it whenever Kipper says, that was a very good question. Doesn't it make you feel good when he says that to you? Yeah. Or he's just trying to make me feel good because it wasn't No, I, I fall for it every time. It makes me feel good. Yeah, well, I had a teacher that used to go very good question. I, he did it because I think he felt sorry for me. So I think there's a little bit, a little <laughs> bit of that. I'm like, sure Kipper feels off. sorry for us, but yeah. I'm just saying, it, it's I like it. Moving on, we have news of a potential new cholesterol medication. Is this thing approved? Is it FDA approved? How does it work? How is it different than a statin? I mean, statins have some side effects that people don't like. So could this be a, a good thing? There's a new drug out now, which is interesting and I'll get us down to that. Cholesterol forms into the coronary arteries, the heart arteries, and if they land in there and they obstruct the flow of the blood, that's a heart attack. So obviously to treat heart disease, uh, we have to treat the cholesterol and lower the cholesterol. And not everybody actually needs treatment for high cholesterol. So a lot of people will come into the office and they'll have very high cholesterol readings. But unless you have coronary disease, unless you have proven disease in the coronary arteries, you don't really need to treat that. How do you find this out? Well, there's a very simple test. We've spoken about this before. It's called a coronary calcium scan, and it measures calcium in the coronary arteries. The cholesterol plaque that lands in the artery takes about 18 months before it scars down, which is calcium. So if you do this scan, the scan is simple. You don't get a needle. You don't get naked. It takes six minutes. And when we see the calcium in these arteries, we know that you're forming plaque. We know that the cholesterol is landing there. With that, we can then decide based on what your cholesterol numbers are. And we're not looking at your total cholesterol. We're looking at your LDL cholesterol. That's the bad one. That's the one that lands there. It's also interesting that women don't really develop generally these plaques until after menopause. Mm. So even if someone has a family history, you're certainly paying more attention to that person. But uh, once the estrogens stop, then these coronary plaques, these cholesterol plaques, they start to mount up. Doing this scan on a woman that's uh, before her menopause is likely to give you no you know, indication of what's really going on. I mean, on. I don't mean to brag. Do you remember what my score is, Doc? I had this scan two months ago. Yes, you're a big zero. Thank you. But I'm also not postmenopausal yet, so I would need to take it again, right, after menopause to see yes. if there's been any change in that. Very good point. And so if you have you got a, a good family, point, by the way. Not a good question, but a good point. It's just so good. 
if you have a strong family history, you need to have this test done. For men, start doing this in your 40s. For women, again, certainly at your menopause. We don't know what the genetics are to coronary disease exactly, but what we think is that those that are predisposed because of their genetics are so predisposed because their genetics create inflammation in these arteries. And it's the inflammation that grabs the cholesterol as it's passing through. And that's why these people get plaques. We have standard treatments. The statins, as you mentioned, are the, they're the gold standard, and they've been around a long time. And they work by cutting out one of the ingredients in the production line to make cholesterol. They have side effects, which are generally muscle cramps, but they also have benefit and they work as anti-inflammatories. So those people that have cholesterol placking also have inflammatory changes. So statins have sort of a dual purpose. They lower the amount of cholesterol load to the artery and they reduce inflammation. We have Zetia, which is another product. Zetia is uh, a product that grabs the cholesterol in the GI tract, doesn't let it get absorbed into the system, and dumps it into the toilet, frankly. So that's another addition. And we often combine Zetia with a statin. We have these newer, and they're not so new anymore. They're probably 10 years old, these PCSK9 inhibitors. These are injections. There's two types. There's Rapatha and Proulent. They work oh, I've as- heard of Rapatha. And they, Most, they, mostly from Jeopardy, because they show, they show the ads <laughs> for Rapatha during Jeopardy. Well, they work the same way as the statins. They knock out something in the production line for cholesterol. And the advantage of these, first of all, I think they work better than anything, but you can take these injections, they're subcutaneous, every two weeks or every four weeks. So from a compliance standpoint, they're really a good addition to our arsenal. There's a new one that's out that's been out a year. Uh, It's called Legvio, Legvio, and it's an injection works the same way as the one we just mentioned. That one's every six months. So if you have a problem with compliance, that's your drug. The problem with the new one is that it's incredibly expensive because it is a new one, but the population at risk, there are a lot of people that prefer to do this twice a year as opposed to twice a month. David, we're going to move on in a second, but I got to know, is the new drug for people who can't tolerate statin, but if you can, statin is better, stronger, the first choice? So the new drug, thank you, Peter, a a very good question, is Bempidoic. And (laughs) Bempidoic is less powerful than the statins, but when combined with the statins or Zetia, it increases the benefit of both of these. Ah, okay. And it significantly decreases uh, the amount of heart attacks and, and needed bypass surgeries. A few more side effects. It not only causes muscle pain, but it can cause gout and gallstones. Ooh. So that's now on the scene and will be added to these other medicines. I just, I want to say real quick about the calcium, the calcium coronary score. I can never say it right. What's it called? CAC? Coronary calcium scan. Coronary calcium score. I had to ask for it and call a radiology place. And I know that you're a good doctor who would tell your patients to go get this scan. But like when I've, I've had it twice now over the past five years and it's never been covered by insurance. So I just wanted to say to people 
ask for it and then you'll figure out how they do it. It's the same machine. It's very easy. You just lay there and they go zoop, zoop, and it's done. And it's real time reading. You can walk out of the room and ask someone who's looking at this, do I have any calcium in my scan? But you're absolutely right, Anna. And if you walk into an emergency room with chest pain, there are two reasons why people get chest pain. One is heart disease and the other one is GI disease, stomach disease. And the nerves that control the pain pathways for the heart and the stomach are the same nerves. So you have to differentiate when someone comes into your office, are you having heart problems or are you having stomach problems? So people that walk into an emergency room will often be sent for this scan, take six minutes, and if their coronary calcium is zero, they are likely having stomach issues mm. and not heart issues. I love how you said it takes six minutes unless you don't know anybody, and then it takes three days in the hallway on a gurney waiting to get the six-minute the six test. You know what? Can you do me a, a quick favor here? I don't know why I thought of this. I want to get to, to uh, this just happened, which is fascinating about prostate. Hiccups. David has the greatest cure for hiccups. Oh, tell us. And, and it takes two seconds to do. What, what's your cure for hiccups, David? Sugar. Spoonful I've of sugar. heard of that. It's the granulation that hits the esophagus that calms down the spasm. So there you go. A public service message from? From sugar. So this is a biggie. This is a big, just, this just happened. There may be an alternative. I'm dying to hear from David to surgery, prostate surgery with something that's less invasive. It's a, it's a surgery because there's an insertion, right, David? It's an hour procedure, an hour and a half procedure. But it sounds like it's so much less devastating to shrink the prostate or remove or help the problem. So what, tell us about this because this is amazing. So the background to this is that as men age, their prostates get bigger. This has to do with hormone changes. And when they get bigger, they obstruct the outlet from the bladder. So the bladder has a tube that comes from it called the urethra, and the prostate gland sits right at the base of the bladder as it empties into the urethra. And as the gland grows bigger, there's compression of the urethra. So when you hear men complaining that they're getting up four times at night to go to the bathroom, or that they have to run quickly to the bathroom because they're, they have some urgency, or they are going often with frequency, it's because their prostate glands are getting bigger and they're compressing the urethra, the outflow. So this is going to happen to all of us men out there. There are standard treatments. There are medications that are called alpha blockers that relax the muscles in the prostate and the bladder. There are drugs like Flomax and Uraxitrol. Uh, these have side effects over the long term and the compliance then goes down. So you can have sexual dysfunction, you have a change uh, in your ejaculate. Their men ultimately get tired of these, and they also wear off after a while. The surgery that's been standard since I was in medical school is called a TERP. That's a transurethral resection of the prostate. So with a catheter, you go in and you basically start carving out parts of the prostate gland so you can open up that channel. And so th this, is, this is what we've had forever, but there are several newer treatments that uh, we're seeing now, and they've all come out really within the last few years. Big menu. So one is called the prostate arterial embolism. 
you actually create an embolism into an artery in the prostate. So you inject this material, it closes off the artery, just like a heart attack would, and no blood flow can go to that part of the prostate and that tissue dies. So that shrinks the prostate. It and does, takes, does dead tissue interfere with anything or no? It's just No, there. because the dead tissue ultimately dissolves. And ah. And now you have a smaller gland, and the opening is bigger. So is this the new? This is the new procedure? No, this, this. Well, this is one of the newer procedures. I'll, I'll get to the okay. brand new procedures, but uh, and this hurts a lot for a while after about three because you now it's like a heart attack hurts because there's no oxygen going to that tissue, and as the tissue is dying, it, it's painful. After three months, there's no discomfort. There's no sexual dysfunction. So there are some advantages. It's done as an outpatient. Um, there's something called a Urolift. This is relatively brand new. And think of this as like tying back a curtain against the urethra. So you go in with this little mechanical device. You put it, you take the prostate away from the urethra with this little device. This can last for years. This is another outpatient procedure. There is some discomfort. There's a catheter you have to wear for a few days. There's a little bit of bleeding to this, but it's pretty simple. There's something called a tumped. We went from the terp to the tumped, T-U-M-T. That's a transurethral microwave thermotherapy. And what they do you're not going to want to hear this, is they put a little wire through the urethra up to where the prostate is, and then they literally microwave the tissue on either side of the urethra, which kills that tissue. There's something called Resume, which is where they inject sterile water that's been vaporized and heated into the same area, and that can destroy the tissue. There's an aqua ablation it's a robotic procedure where, with high-velocity water jets that go against the prostate tissue. That knocks it out. And then the, the newest one is the green light laser. And that just uses photoselective energy to do exactly the same thing through the same uh, mechanism and highway. And it knocks out, burns out this tissue. If you're older and frail and you can't do any of these, we can also stent the urethra so that we keep that area open. And then there's also a shaman named Lenny in Puerto Vallarta who's willing to shrink your prostate. It just seems like there's a lot of methods. There are. Do women have this many methods for our stuff? Well, women don't have as many prostates. That's the, that's the good news here. But women do have their own issues, but especially- do we? When, <laughs> oh boy. I don't think we don't how long is our show? <laughs> so if I David, if you had to which choose Which one should you do? Which one would like of all of these as far as efficacy and comfort, what do you pick? I would pick the Eurolift right now. That's okay. what I would pick. And that's one of the newer ones? Yes. So the other question, how many doctors are trained to do these? Like like if you go to the mm. hospital and you live in where whatever you're not in a major maybe New York or LA, do they even know to give you a choice? Or and can they look at you and discern which is the best from the size of your prostate or how you respond to other stuff or what other drugs you're on? How do you make the decision for the patient? So I, I'm not kidding, but Peter, that is a good question, and the answer is interesting because the doctors have to learn these procedures. So a lot of what happens is, let's say I'm a doctor, I'm right. a doctor, and I learned the Eurolift. Okay. And 
people come in, I'm more likely to suggest the Eurolift than to go see Dr. Tilden, who does the Tumped procedure, mm-hmm. or right. Dr. Vecino, who does the How do you even whatever. advocate for somebody? Well, there are metrics that go into this decision-making, but it really does, Peter, come down to what procedures they're most comfortable with. So do the research. Get online and look up stuff, everything you can to find out, and then find out if you're a doctor and get consult, because there are options. I didn't, I didn't know that. I knew about the, the coil. I knew about the surgery. Um, I just read about one of these, but holy mackerel, I didn't know that, that if you're going in for this, you should know the menu of choices and, 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 and decide. Wow. Wow. And it is life-changing because these, these drugs, which is what we all start out getting, really do have a negative over the long run, and people are going to get something done. All right, you know what time is? It's time to get to our Hey, What About Me segment. Uh, Lauren today has a question about Alzheimer's disease. Hey, Dr. Kipper. My parents are older and becoming more and more forgetful. I'm worried that it's Alzheimer's, and I'm wondering if there is a definitive test. So, Lauren, this is a very good question because there is not one way to diagnose Alzheimer's. It's a disease that destroys the nerve cells in the brain because of the accumulation of beta amyloid and tau proteins. And with this, it leads to a loss of cognition, memory, language, reasoning, and recognizing people. There are current diagnostics out there, but they all have their limits. We use PET scans, which can identify certain structural changes in the brain. We have CT and MRI that we use, but we really only use these to rule out other causes of dementia. There's a spinal tap where we can take CSF, cerebral spinal fluid. What does that tell? What does a spinal tap determine? Well, we can measure these proteins, these amyloid and tau proteins. Uh, which when we get into these new treatments, this is going to become germane. And we have cognitive testing, which really aren't reliable because there are so many other diseases that cause these symptoms that if you give somebody a cognitive test for memory, for recall, all all of these things, you're not really going to be specific for Alzheimer's. So there's a new test called the Lumi pulse test, And it measures the relative amount of these beta amyloid and tau proteins in spinal fluid. So it's it's a you have to have a spinal tap to do this, but it's a very sensitive test and can pick up Alzheimer's years before there are any clinical manifestations. Again, the problem and there's a ratio of amyloid to tau proteins that has been worked out by AI that will say, okay, this ratio indicates Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. And when they do this test, obviously it's not so easy because it's a spinal tap, but the value of that test is that if you identify somebody 20 years before the disease shows up, you can start intervening with whatever therapies are out there. And we don't have all those therapies yet. And that brings me to the next issue, which is, what are the new treatments? Well, there's something called lecanemab, which is one of those monoclonal antibodies that we've spoken about before. Right. Those are antibodies that are made in a laboratory. They're not, they're not natural. Uh, this was all done at Yale, and it's an IV infusion every two weeks of this antibody that targets these toxic proteins, the amyloid and the tau. 
And the same issue here is that let's say that we now identify someone with the Lumi pulse test and we decide to give them the lecanemab early. We can possibly, I don't want to use the word prevent, but who knows. But if we start treating these people early enough, we can start changing the complexion of these, of these proteins. Think about what happened when AIDS happened in the 80s. There was a ton of money, fortunately, that was thrown at that disease, and something came from that. That's yeah. how this works. But speaking of cost, that's one. Of, there are two problems with the lecanemab. One is that it costs $26,000 a year. That's not comfortable for most people. And there are some microhemorrhages and fluid accumulation in the brain, maybe 15 to 20% of people experience this. So there are some negatives. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think as this is used more and more, they will sophisticate and refine this. And I think we'll have slight, slightly better uh, Boy, the impact of all time, that would be tremendous if they could, the, the difference in the world that, that would make. Oh my gosh. So if anybody out there has a question for our Hey, What About Me segment, you got a question for Dr. Kipper, go to bedsidematters.org, write us a card, write us a letter, leave us a message, and Dr. Kipper might just answer your question. You got it. And to recap, when Biden's skin cancer was a, um, a what was a basal? Basal cell. And uh, and you should get your skin checked a lot. Uh, Cholesterol-lowering drug may help people who can't or won't take statins. We talked about that. Check that out if you have cholesterol. We just did the, this just happened, the uh, new procedures to um, avoid the old-fashioned prostate surgery. You should know about those too, because um, that is that is pretty life-changing for most men who have to deal with that. And then, of course, we just talked about Alzheimer's. Fingers crossed that they're investing money in the right place and that uh, it can alleviate the, the pain and suffering of all the caregivers and people who are bedridden. And with that, I mean, you look at the, the news, like I said, you watch Bruce Willis. It's so heartbreaking mm. to see somebody so publicly that we grew up with and to watch where he, he is now. Uh, Anna, thank you. Uh, Producer Laurie, thank you. Dr. Kipper, of course, thank you. And thank you for listening. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, follow us at bedsidematters.org. If you have a medical question, as Anna said, go to bedsidematters.org and send it to us. And we'll see you next episode. The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.